Welcome to the IBM Developer Podcast. I'm Grant Steinfeld, and I'm here today with our co-host, Luke Schantz. This is the third in our three-part series about Cabanero. Today, we're going to touch on the architectural aspects about Cabanero. Is that correct, Luke? It is correct, Grant. And to help us with this topic, I found just the right person, Chris Bailey. He's a senior technical staff member, and one of the things that he works on is the runtime environments that IBM uses in its enterprise business. So Java, Node, Swift. So he really knows the enterprise space, he knows architecture, and he's been working on Cabanero. Fantastic. Well, with no further ado, let's jump right in. Here we go. I'm Chris Bailey. I'm a, a long-time IBMer. I've been in IBM for probably 18 years now. Uh, based in the UK, and I work for a team called uh, Runtime Technologies. So we're the group that does the development of programming languages, runtimes, and like web and microservice frameworks. So I started working on Java and JVM technologies, so the underlying virtual machine itself. Shortly after doing that, I did some work on uh, Node.js, so server-side JavaScript, and most recently, I started working on cloud-native developer tools. So how you build applications that are actually designed to run in cloud-native environments like Kubernetes. And that's where the Absti project and Cabanero comes in, which is, I guess, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I'm excited because containerization and orchestration, it solved problems we had, but it created new problems. So yeah. It's the same with any technology change, right? Technology has evolved to solve problems that people are experiencing. But every time there's a change in technology, the first problem that you have is there's a skills barrier. Right? You have to learn the new thing. And it takes a time for you know, people learning and experimenting to become best practices. And then those best practices have to be shared. Uh, so, yeah, there's a barrier to any new technology. And we are kind of seeing in the industry at the moment that Kubernetes is starting to become the standard platform for containerization. And that is now you know, getting to the point that because it's starting to become the platform, it's easy for us to start developing those best practices and starting to communicate them and create tools around how to, how to leverage them. So that being said, uh, what is Cabanero in, in, in this context? What is, it, uh, what, what is the tools and what is it doing for us? So Cabanero and Absti really came out of discussions that we've been having with are you know, traditional IBM customers. These are groups who have worked with things at like the Webster application server. They are used to running the application server platform and have being a kind of like a central management team. And they work with their developers or their lines of businesses which have developer units who are creating you know, business applications. And what typically happens there is the, the development team builds an application packages that in a WAR file or an AIR file, so you know, a packaged version of that application. And then that's given to the platform team who put it onto the application server platform and they, they run it for them. So you have this central team that runs the business applications and because they run the platform, they actually own how those applications are run. So if you've got corporate requirements on things like you know, high availability and disaster recovery, um, or you know, lower level things like how monitoring is done, how logging is done, how security and authentication is done. You know, things like um, not having any credentials or passwords stored in plain text for configuration. This was all owned by the platform team and they, they were the central platform. Now, with the move to containerization and Kubernetes, there's two things that are happening. First of all, the platform is changing. The platform is no longer the application server. It's containers and Kubernetes. 
And the other thing is the responsibilities of developers has changed. So they've gone from building the application that's given to someone else who then runs it to owning the full stack. And then that stack gets put in the container and onto the Kubernetes platform for scale. And that means they now own far more than they did before. You know, developers actually own how the monitoring is implemented, how the logging is implemented, how security is implemented, and so on. So all of the kind of like platform standards, corporate standards, regulatory standards, high availability, and so on, that the platform team used to do, is now kind of delegated to the development teams. And that makes it very hard to you know, ensure that if you've got a thousand developers building you know, 50 different business applications to make sure those are all meeting their standards and, and being built in a consistent way that leverage best practices. So working with our customers you know, and them giving us that problem set, uh, we started to think about well, how can we actually make it easier for those developers to build best practice applications and have the platform team you know, bake in these platform regulatory corporate standards give those to the developers and say, hey, you need to build with this and let them you know, concentrate on writing applications as they did before, but it's still microservices. They're still building containers. They're still deploying it to Kubernetes, but they've gone back to where they were before, focusing on application code, and the platform team can actually focus on how to write the platform. It's just now running on Kubernetes instead. So I can totally empathize with developers having to take on more responsibilities, even though it can be more efficient and, and problems are being solved for them. But who really owns this this overarching, uh, you know, expanded uh, responsibility set? Yeah, so, so lots of enterprises we work with, they have kind of like typically a, an internal architecture team or they have like a platform engineering team. And there's generally a role in there which is either platform architect or solution architect. So these are the people that kind of design in um, all of the requirements of how those applications have to, have to be run. And that's kind of the person's job that we're trying to make easier. So we're providing a set of tools under Cabanero that let them you know, define how, how applications need to, to run. So they're defining more of the runtime characteristics. And that we enable them to do this across any programming language or framework. So at the moment, we've got capabilities that work for you know, Node.js, which is server-side JavaScript, for Java, um, and that's whether you're using things like OpenLiberty from IBM or Spring Boot. Um, we've got support for Python um, with the Flask framework. We've got some support for Swift and Kaitora. Um, so it doesn't really matter which programming languages your developers want to use. Um, we make it possible for the, the solution architect or the platform architect to basically build a configured uh, server. So they configure the framework, they configure the operating system, they configure the Docker container it's going to get built into and so on. And then that gets pushed out to the developer teams to build their applications on top of. And we provide a set of full lifecycle tools. So as the developers are actually writing their code, their code is mirrored into a Docker container, which then runs that code live as they type and make changes. And that means that you know, if your target platform is Linux running in a container on Kubernetes, but your developers have Windows machines, or they have Macs, it means that their code is being written on a Mac or on a Windows machine, but it's being executed inside a Linux container on that machine that reflects exactly what they're going to be doing when they get to the cloud. And that means that any kind of problems that you might hit because of operating system changes and so on, those are found out immediately. That the whole aim is to kind of shift left your production environment and put it onto the developer's laptop so they immediately know that it's, it's meeting those requirements. 
and that process where the solution architect kind of like defines this stack and then pushes that into his developers to use, that's not a one-time task. Right? That stack could be versioned. So if the solution architect needs to, to patch a day zero security vulnerability, they can put that into the stack and then they can push out the new version of the stack to the developers and to their applications and patch and centrally update you know, anything that's actually deployed. And that means it's kind of, again, back to what they had before where the platform or solution architect you know, was responsible for applying maintenance. But we're now applying maintenance to distributed microservices rather than a central platform. Interesting. So one of the things you're doing at IBM is working on the runtimes that would then be used within Cabanero and Apsity. Yeah, so because of kind of our, our history in doing um, you know, runtimes and frameworks, a large thing that we started doing probably, you know, five, six years ago was starting to optimize the runtimes and the frameworks for cloud environments. Some of that was, you know, about changing the way that they um, adapt to, to resources and performance requirements. Um, you know, Java, because it was the central platform for the application server, has kind of been designed to be resource hungry. If you put it on a 64 CPU machine with 128 gig of RAM, it can use all of that to execute you know, many, many applications at the same time. And when you move to uh, cloud and Kubernetes and microservices, you're suddenly saying, I'm going to have a whole number of small applications that maybe only have one or two CPUs and so on. So around five years ago, we started working on optimizing the runtimes and the frameworks for this environment. Then the next thing we did was we said, there's actually certain things applications need to do to not just be you know, packaged and hosted in a cloud, but to leverage some of the advantages of a cloud. So, for example, Kubernetes has something called uh, liveness and readiness checks. So a liveness check is where Kubernetes will effectively you know, request information from your microservice by pinging a, um, a URL that you host. Um, and if it gets a response, it says, okay, it's live, it's ready, it can carry on running. But if it doesn't get a response, or that response is an error code, it knows that it needs to restart the application. So Kubernetes provides auto restart of applications um, based on this, this liveness check. They also have readiness checks. They're very, very similar, but they determine whether or not um, a microservice is ready to receive traffic. So if the readiness check doesn't respond or it responds in error code, then it takes it out of the, the load balancer so it doesn't receive any more requests. So probably about two years ago, that's where we started building these capabilities into the frameworks. We've done it for Node.js through a, an open source project we lead called CloudNativeJS. For Swift and Katora, we built it directly into the framework. For Java, this is where the Eclipse MicroProfile standards and implementation came from. This was you know, something that we kind of kicked off with some of our partners like Red Hat and so on to say, how do we take um, Java EE applications and make them cloud ready? So the MicroProfile spec there is all about making it possible to add in these functions that takes your application, makes it a proper microservices, makes it cloud native, which means it actually integrates with the features the cloud provides. Interesting. So it sounds like while Caminero was just recently launched, this has really been an evolution. All the parts have, have come together and it's, it's more of an emergent project than it is sort of a, a, a new idea. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been um, a, an evolution of, you know, as I said, we started on optimize the runtimes, optimize the frameworks, add packages and standards for being cloud ready. And this is just the next step, which is now we need to make it easier for developers to build applications with those components built in, 
and for um, platform and solution architects to build those customized for their platform, be able to patch them and push them out to their developers. So could you give a little maybe practical insight for developers of what does it mean to interact and work with Cabanero, say through Absidy and CodeWind? Yeah, so, so the developer experience, um, there's kind of two levels of it. There's the Absidy open source project, which provides a CLI. That means you can work in your terminal. Because it's a CLI, it works with any IDE, but it doesn't actually integrate into the IDEs. For IDE integration, we've got a, another open source project called Eclipse CodeWind. Whilst it's Eclipse, that's, it's Eclipse because it's part of the Eclipse Foundation, and it's under the Eclipse Foundation open source body. It's actually a set of plugins for any IDE, currently supporting, yes, the Eclipse IDE, but also uh, VS Code. And there's work going on to, to bring it to other IDEs. Uh, IntelliJ is kind of a, a high priority one that's on the list. Between those two, you've got the ability to, to use a CLI or use IDE integration to do the full life cycle of building cloud-native applications. So the starting point is I want to build a new application using this predefined cloud-ready stack. And that could be for Node or Java, Spring Boot, Java with OpenLiberty and MicroProfile, Python with Flask or, or whatever. And you can create that project through either CodeWind or using CLI. Once you've done that, um, you can then start developing as you would normally. So you can make code changes inside your IDE and then you can run a project. And when you hit run, what it actually does is it starts that, that container that I talked about and mirrors your project into it. And at that point, you have this, this containerized run environment with your code mirrored into it. So as you make code changes, those are reflected inside the container. The container will automatically restart the application inside the container. So the container is not restarting. The server inside it is restarting. And that means that you, know, you make a code change, you hit save, you go to your browser, um, and it will immediately show you the changes live. So it's a, it's a you know, typical iterative development environment. You can also run your tests inside that container, so you can you know, test everything still working on Linux. Um, you can attach a debugger as if you were running locally, so it sets up a remote debug connection between your IDE and the process inside the container. Um, but it also has build and deploy tools. So you can do absolutely build or hit the build button, and that builds a best practice Docker container for your application. And we've kind of baked the best practice of that into, into the container stack itself. And that's kind of important because um, whilst uh, Docker's been around for a while, there are many ways that you can actually build a Docker container. One of the, the things that kind of got added in maybe 18 months, two years ago, which we are very familiar with, but some other people aren't necessarily, is Docker lets you do uh, multi-stage Docker builds. Now, what that means is you can actually kind of build multiple containers in sequence and copy things from one build into the next. Now, that's useful because um, if you're going to build something inside a container, you need a compiler. Right? And you may well need a whole number of source libraries that you have to work with. Now, you don't want those in your final container uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it makes it bigger. And two, it's less secure. You kind of want your final container to be able to execute the application but you don't want it to be able to actually do a build. You don't want there to be a compiler in there because there's a number of security vulnerabilities which are based on you know, injecting capabilities and then compiling them on the, the OS. So we implement multi-stage builds. So the first stage actually builds your application and generates your binaries or your jar files. And then it lifts those and puts them into a second container, which is only capable of executing them. 
In Java terms, it's kind of like the difference between the Java SDK and the JRE. The SDK has the Java C compiler and lots of tools. The JRE can run Java code and only run Java code. So it's the same sort of thing. We, we implement this for, for each of the languages. So from a developer's perspective, they just do absolutely build and they get a best practice container built for them. Um, and then we actually provide a, a deploy command. And you can type absolutely deploy and it will deploy it to Kubernetes. And from a developer's perspective, you don't really need to know how to do that. You don't need to learn Kubernetes, you just type deploy. Now, we, for everything that we do, we kind of have this, this policy that we should make things as simple as possible. But you don't want to, to kind of hide how all of this works. So absolutely deploy will take your application, deploy it to Kubernetes, give you back the URL of where it is so you can connect to it. But we also provide you the configuration files that we used. So if you want to then um, you know, learn how it works or start editing those configuration files because you want to do advanced stuff, then you can do that and the next time you hit deploy, it will use your customized version of the file. And this sense of uh, progressive disclosure, you know, make it simple and then make it customizable is something we're trying to push out across everything we do now. Yeah, I love that. And that really, it mirrors what I've been trying to do and I think what all of advocacy has been trying to do is like really create a low barrier to entry and then and a high ceiling of you can take it to scale. There's kind of like one of the you know, luminaries in object-oriented programming, a guy called Alan Kay, and his, his statement is something along the lines of simple things should be simple, complex things should be possible. Mm. And that's kind of what we want to do. We want to make simple things really, really simple to do. But if you want to go beyond that, if you want to do customizations, it should absolutely be possible. You know, We're not hiding things from you. We're just making it so that you don't have to do it in order to get started or do you know, simple things. Interesting. So let me ask you, how does this compare to, say, other open source options, or are there other source options? There are for certain aspects of it. So in terms of the simplicity that you get here for developers, so you've got things like PaaS, uh, Platform as a Service. With a PaaS, the idea is a developer just builds an application. They don't need to know how uh, to run it in a cloud, package it for a cloud, configure it for a cloud to a certain extent. They just build an application. And then they just say, right, deploy, and it works. And that is kind of similar to a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about. One of the, the major differences is almost every PaaS that exists today is super hard to customize. It's generally provided by the platform as a service provider um, and designed to work on their platform. But what we've learned from working with you know, our traditional customers is we could provide our customers with um, a, a cloud platform that is very, very opinionated. Right? It, it's decided how logging and monitoring and so on is done and make it possible for you to just write application code and it works with that platform. And that's actually what we do with Kubernetes and Cabanero. But we also know from talking to our customers that our opinionated platform is unlikely to exactly match the requirements of any given client. And this is because none of IBM's enterprise customers have nothing today that, they, that needs to continue to work. Decisions will already be made about how logging needs to be done or how audit is done or what security provider you use. So any cloud platform needs to work to a certain extent with existing technologies and decisions that have been made. So one of the major things that we did in Cabanero is we said, 
we need to, to kind of do the sorts of things you get from a platform as a service from a developer perspective. But from a solution architect perspective, we need to make it very, very easy to customize and to change to deal with you know, existing technologies that you've got to work with. So that's probably you know, the main difference is most open source options that exist here or most alternatives make it super easy for the developer, but they don't make it easy for the operations team, the solution architect team to actually build their own platform as a service platform that the developers are going to then be able to use. So what are the goals for Cabanero and Absidy around building community to, to encourage this growth? Well, I think the first thing to say is, and this is probably a first or, or relatively unique for IBM, is that everything that we're doing is open source. And not just open source, we're trying to be open community. So uh, Codewind, which, as I said, is our plugins for, for IDEs, that is not just open source, but it's open governance under the Eclipse Foundation. So IBM happens to be contributors to it, but there is nothing stopping other groups from not just contributing, but becoming committers, joining the leadership team for, for Eclipse Codewind. Absolutely, that's a, an open source project that is under its own organization. It's under the Absidy organization. And we are looking at where that long-term should or could go. Um, ideally, we kind of want to promote it up through uh, CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. But its aim is to be not just kind of like it's an IBM project where we've open sourced the code and it's on GitHub, but to be an open community. And we've already had people starting to contribute support for other programming languages and frameworks. So you know, there is already support for Quarkus in there. That came from the Red Hat team. Uh, the Red Hat team has also bought Vertex. The contribution of some of the Python stuff came from outside of the core IBM team and so on. So the aim is to kind of build a, a community around this um, because there's a lot of interesting stuff around you know, diversity. If you have one team creating stuff, it becomes very, very narrow and windowed in what it does. You actually want as large a number of people contributing to, to a product as possible because that means it works on a wider set of use cases. The more people we have contributing to it, the greater the likelihood that we're going to have a set of developer tools that developers actually want to use and not just you know the classic maybe IBM Java EE developer uh, but any developer whether they're from you know a startup they're a student or you know they work for one of the world's largest banks so you mentioned Quarkus and I know Red Hat is is presenting that as a solution for serverless so how does that tie in with Absidy and Cabanero yeah, so actually one of the, the first things that we looked at when we started the, the, the Absidy project was, so when I said that we have these, these stacks that the solution architect can, can create, we actually provide the ability to build those stacks at three different layers. Um, the bottom layer is kind of like cloud package. Let's build a self-contained application and we'll create a Docker container for it and make it easy to deploy. The next level up we call cloud native. And it's called cloud native because at that level, the stack includes the framework, whether that's Open Liberty or Quarkus or for Node.js Express or Loopback. And those are pre-configured to have things like monitoring and logging and request tracking so that you can track requests across microservices. And those are baked into that part of the stack. We also have a higher level one, which we call cloud functions. And it actually provides that function programming model that people associate with serverless where you, know, you can write just a function and then deploy that to the cloud. 
We've got a couple of experimental um, versions of that at the moment. One of them is for Node.js, um, and that works using functions on top of uh, the Express stack, and that means you get to write functions that use request and response next, which is the standard kind of API that exists for Express. We've done the same thing for Quarkus. So this means that I can write uh, JAXRS code, just a, a simple function using JAXRS that you know, would be a REST, REST API, and you can use the Absity tooling to take just that file and build a full Quarkus-based microservice and then deploy that to Kubernetes. Now, at that point, you've got the function programming model, but you don't have the serverless piece. So one of the things we built into to Absity from day one for the deploy part is, so serverless is really the ability to kind of scale length and scale to zero based on demand. So we built that directly into the way that we do deploy. If you have um, Knative, the, the new serverless platform that plugs on top of Kubernetes, if you have that installed into your Kubernetes, it becomes a deployment configuration as to whether or not you want serverless, so you want to you know, scale on request, or you want to have, should we say, more classic scaling and say, you know, give me four instances. So we treat serverless versus servers as just a deployment config about how you want to scale. It becomes a scaling policy. When people think about servers in terms of like, it's simple, I don't have to worry about server configuration, We've actually removed that in all cases. Whether you're doing microservers and saying, I want four replicas, or building a function which we then put into a microservice and we say you want to scale on demand, we simplify the way that you do deployment to the point that you don't really know about how all of that's done unless you want to do advanced config. You just say deploy and it works. I like that. That's pretty appealing to me. So let me ask you this. What's on the horizon? Uh, this is where we're at now. So where do we see this going in the near future? So, as I said, you know, our support for functions, those are currently classed as experimental. And that's not because they're not reliable or uh, well-engineered. It's simply because it's new. And there's not really anyone in the industry doing this at the moment. So we need a bit of user feedback so that we can solidify it and make those 1.0 and fixed APIs. So we're going to be doing a bit more work with serverless. But a lot of where we're going next is all about how you get visibility and management of the platform that the developers have built these microservices with, with Absity. For example, when we've started talking about some of these concepts with our customers, and we talk about the fact that um, Solution Architect creates these stacks, and that allows them to customize them, and they own the software levels, and they can do patching. The first question we get asked is, how do they know what's deployed? who deployed them, which is the development team, so they can get the development team to use the new stack. And, well, that's one of the things we are currently working on, and just giving you the visibility of every microservice that's deployed, which source repository it came from, which level of source code, you know, which commit it was built with, which versions of all of the software are in the stack, so OS, Java, framework, package dependencies, so a full visibility of what's actually deployed and running. But the other thing that we want to do is we don't want it to be you then have to you know, read the source code repository, find the development team that owns that, ask them to adopt the new level. We're actually looking at how we can say, well, if I've patched the stack, so I've moved up to the next level, and I want to push that out because it is a day zero security vulnerability, how I can actually push that rebuild all of the applications, put them through the test cycle and have them deployed automatically. 
maybe this is just standard you know IBM terms fix packs or um, service refreshes you know I can actually put those in red green push those out to my entire deployment and my developers don't actually need to be involved in the process so a lot of what we're starting to look at now is that enterprise grade management of the platform and the microservices by the, the typical solution architecture team who used to be able to do that when they owned the platform and for us now this is we're in the hybrid multi-cloud world so you, you can build your app using this your knative app and it can be deployed virtually anywhere yeah absolutely and in fact that's one of the unique capabilities that you know, we also had in mind when we started on this approach of stacks. Because it's the stack that integrates with the platform. Right? So I said, we add things like monitoring and metrics and so on, but it's customizable for things like authentication. So if you're running multi-cloud, and for whatever reason, you know, you're running in a public cloud and you're running in your data center. And because of some managed services in that public cloud, you know, maybe it has a different system for the way you do authentication. Well, the developer's application could be deployed to both places without having to make a code change. But you could use different authentication systems because you can configure that as part of the stack. So one application deployed to two places integrating properly with each of those two places, but it's not a developer task that they have to worry about. That is amazing, because I, I remember, you know, just again in the finite past, what it meant to, you know, do a migration, right? This was a common thing like in startup world. I'm going to move from one cloud provider to another, whereas enterprise has this other problem. They're already on, what, four or five clouds. Uh, this is a great solution, especially in the hybrid multi-cloud world and migration to cloud and app modernization, this is, this is a great tool that actually sort of checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, that was one of the, the, the goals we always kind of had in our mind when we started working on this stuff, is to, to make it possible for you to lift an application that works in one place and make it work in the other with no intervention from the developer. It, it's kind of ironic because, you know, I think I said at the beginning, I, my, my history where I originally started was Java, which always talks about write once, run anywhere. Well we're kind of back at the same point. This should allow you to do write once, run anywhere. It's just that anywhere is now different clouds rather than different operating systems and different hardware. So let me ask you this. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? <laughs> no, I, I think this has been a really good conversation. There's a lot of stuff that we are doing at the moment. We are doing a lot of work on focusing on the developer, but remembering that actually developers are kind of like, they're, they're small teams, they have individual tasks. The biggest problem happens to be when you get to production, you get to scale. And a lot of what we've released so far that you can see through Abstein Codewind is very developer-focused. But really under that, it's this overarching concept that we have to make it easy for, for our customers and their solution architects and their platform teams to manage microservices at scale across multi-cloud and be able to you know, have that day zero security vulnerability and be able to patch their enterprise without having to you know, locate and work with 200 different development teams across you know, five different countries or whatever. Well, thank you, Chris Bailey, for taking the time to be with us and uh, talk to us about Cabinero from the architect's perspective. I think I have a much better understanding of the, the technology and how to apply it from an architecture standpoint. Grant, could you help us out with some of the links and social contacts for Chris and the things mentioned in the episode? Yeah, absolutely. So AppCity is really great. Check it out. AppCity.dev A-P-P-S-O-D-Y 
www.dev. And if you're looking for the IDE plugins, go to www.eclipse.org forward slash codewind. And of course, the umbrella project that houses both Absidy and Codewind, go to cabanero.io. That's K-A-B-A-N-E-R-O dot I-O. You can follow us all on Twitter. So Chris is at Chris underscore Bailey. That's C-R-I-S underscore B-A-I-L-E-Y. Your hosts can be found at Luke Schantz and myself, Grant Steinfeld, can be found at G. Steinfeld. If you want to keep up with our future podcasts, please subscribe and share with a friend or colleague or whomever else might find this content useful. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, as well as Stitcher. Thank you very much for joining us on the IBM Developer Podcast today. Have a great day. 